Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, uh, serving you in the ministry, in the context of a local church is way bigger than some preacher standing in front of people every Sunday. It's folks that faithfully serve in the trenches. And I'm grateful for everyone. Lord, would you quiet our hearts this morning? Would you speak to us? Would you help us recognize that uh, it's in you and you alone that the answer that we're looking for is found? So in the next few minutes, we'll never get it back. Speak to our hearts right where we're at. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. James chapter 5, turn your Bible to James chapter 5. If you're here today and you're a guest, let me just say that you are with us uh, toward the end of a series in the book of James entitled Faith That Works. Here's what we discovered. That when God saves you, he calls you to serve him. How you do that's really based on your spiritual gifts and the gifts that God has given you. But what he wants us to do is step from the stands onto the field. So when we come together on Sundays, it's the rally cry, amen? As we come together as believers, but make sure we understand something. The Christian life is not contained to a couple hours on Sunday morning in a building. That God calls us to take it, our faith, our testimony. He goes with us when we leave this door. And I don't know how many counties are represented here today. I would probably say at least three. Preble, Butler, and Montgomery, maybe more. Warren. But God is faithful, amen? So that's where we've been on this journey as he, as James writes to believers and encourages them that it's not just about talking about it, but it's about living it. And I'll show you my faith by my actions, but I recognize my actions don't save me, okay? I believe there are two questions this morning that are the greatest questions you'll ever answer in life. Now, one of them you might think was when I dropped to one knee and held up that ring and asked Renee if she would marry me. I wish I could say that, but I didn't do it anything like that. We were driving down North Dixie Drive. Terry, you know right where I'm at, in front of the middle school. I'm in my high-performance 1981 Toyota Tercel. And I was so nervous, I was sweating. I had the ring in my pocket, and I just pulled it out of my pocket, and I just went, here. <laughs> and I was assuming I knew the answer. And she said yes, and the rest is history. I'm talking about two different questions. Here's the first one. Listen carefully. Do you know for certain that you'll go to heaven when you die? That is life's most important question to answer. But I want to talk about another one today. And that's in the life of a believer. Because James is writing believers, what question would he possibly be interested in in my life that, that the Lord would want me to hear and the, he would want me to answer as a Christian? Now that I've settled, if I were to die, would I go to heaven? You ready? Lean in. Are you growing now that you're saved? 
Okay, that's the question. Are you growing as a Christian? This message this morning isn't meant to be cute. It isn't meant to lay a guilt trip on anybody. The most natural thing in the world is growth. For instance, when a baby's born, you look for signs of growth. You remember? It's, it's almost uh, uh, like uh, we go to the doctor and they evaluate, you know, the charts. And it's almost like I proudly walk up to the pediatrician and say, Doctor, how am I doing? And, and he says, well, Greg, you're exceptional. You're in the 25% level. And I go home and maybe I've misread his diagnosis, but I feel pretty good about myself. And I think sometimes we as Christians can feel pretty good about ourselves, but to tell you the truth, we're more concerned about other people growing than we are us. So this morning, that's the question. Am I a growing Christian? James chapter 5, I want to begin by reading the first six verses. If you're with me, say amen. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist. Now I believe in this passage this morning that James, uh, in essence, is trying to get our attention about things in life that really matter. You might be here and... Uh, when you were, when you were young, uh, it was all about keeping up with the Joneses. You all know what that means? It's just kind of making sure that you're on the same pace that your neighbors are on or the same pace that your cousins are on or your siblings are on. And sometimes that's rewarding and sometimes that can be discouraging. Um, years ago, I would go to conferences that you all would let me go to and most of the time, those guys that preached at these conferences were guys that preached in mega churches. And it was almost that you would come home and feel like a failure if your church didn't somehow measure up to the standard that somebody else did. I think the SBC's gotten a better wind of that, that the majority of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are small churches under 100. But we're called to recognize God's goodness in our own life. And when you look at the riches that James is addressing, he's really addressing a mindset, I believe. And he's reminding us of a few important things in life when we realize that keeping up with the Joneses really wasn't life's greatest goal. That was just putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. I believe he's reminding us that with riches, we're to be responsible managers, we're to be stewards, we're to use what God has given us and I really believe, folks, we may not be the flashiest church around, but I really believe this. I can stand our church up against any body of believers and say, I pastor one of the most giving groups of people I've ever seen in my life. 
whether it's a bottle of water, Amy Armstrong, or meeting a benevolent need, a benevolent need local, you know what I mean, locally, locally. God is faithful, and I thank the Lord for a dad who taught me this principle. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. Our things are meant to glorify Him, and sometimes that's riches. It may be our time and our talent and our, our service. It may be you emptying a trash can or opening a door or serving in the nursery. Or passing out to a truck driver something that you may never see them again. Or it may be someone like Harold Dunn who popped in here this week and said, Brother Greg, would it be okay if we put gospel tracts in these cases of water? That's a good idea. Amen? I can just see somebody in Texas now. Mama, come in here. Somebody at Walmart put this in our water. Hey, listen to me. God calls us to use what we have. And in the first sixes of chapter 5, he's reminding us that our riches can come and go. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Luke chapter 6, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. 1 Timothy verse six, chapter 6, verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now make sure you understand something. The Bible doesn't teach about riches. The Bible teaches about a caution to make sure we understand where that came from and make sure that God has given us the resource for his glory in serving others that's why I believe you can never outgive God you can never outgive God if you have your outline I'm going to give you a few uh, principles to take away this morning here's the first one enjoying the blessing of God is different than being blessed and withholding it from others what do you mean, Brother Greg? Well, for instance, God blesses and, and, and he gives things to us. It might be finances, it might be resources, it might be opportunity. And what he wants us to do is yield what we have to him. Yield. Do you know what yield means? Let somebody else go in front of you. Be careful. Don't be selfish. Back off. If you don't know what that means, just hang around. The more and more of these roundabouts are coming, you better learn what they mean, right? It means to just back off. So we're to yield what we have to the Lord, whether it be our time, our talent, our resources, and recognize something, that the things the Bible talks about are eternal, the things this world gives are temporal. Renee's mom's 94. Where's life going? 1984, she lost her dad uh, to lymphoma cancer. Her mom never remarried, has been on her own ever since. Where has time gone? You see, the problem that James is addressing wasn't their gold. The problem was that gold can become your God. And folks, listen to me this morning. When you have to have in order to validate who you are, you kind of get in life out of order. 
Let me, let me tell you what kind of value you and I have this morning. There was an old rugged cross on Golgotha that Jesus died on to pay a debt for you and me we could never pay ourselves. That's how much God loves you. I, I love what Gracie sang, the, the lyrics of that song. There's nothing better than you, Lord. I believe that's what James is teaching in this passage. There's nothing better than the things of the Lord. So when we give our things to the Lord, they become treasures. Things that are invested in eternity. Now he's already addressed it. For instance, look at chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. But the rich in his humiliation because... As a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no longer has the sun risen with a burning heat, then it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. But we also recognize that James dealt with the issue of riches in worship. And here was the problem. People were coming through the door, and the church was treating them differently based on what they looked like and what they had. Do you remember? It's almost as if the person who, who appeared poor uh, was forgotten about while the person who seemed to be rich was given the best seat. So he dresses the warning of being very, very careful with what this world has to offer. You know, there's a story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, when one came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good, but that one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And man, he responded, which ones? Which ones? Jesus said, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, I've done all of those. I've kept those. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's not the end of the story. Verse 22. Perhaps one of the saddest verses in Scripture. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had many possessions. You see, he hung on to the things of the world. He missed the meaning of there's nothing better than you, Lord, because of the things he possessed. Now, it's not about having things the Bible speaks about. It's about things having you. It's about things having you. You know, we all like certain things, do we not? I mean, if you come to our house, I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to show you uh, probably pictures of the kids. Uh, no doubt I'll, I'll eventually break out my Pete Maravich basketball card collection. And I'll show you, and I'll begin to describe which, what each one means and what they're worth and, and just uh, how they mean nothing to you but something to me. We all have things we like. Mark could bring me in here during the week and Marcia and say, hey, let us show you this keyboard. and Let us show you this drum set that's plugged into the sound system, this electrical drum set. Have, have you ever sat down at the drums? How do you think in four different places at the same time and get your body to move that way? 
I'm pretty convinced that weird people play the drums. <laughs> Folks, we all have things that we like, but here's, here's what the picture is today. Be very, very careful of clinging to things because those things will become like a fattened cow that goes to the market and is slaughtered. Here's the mistake that many people clutch their riches and never open their heart to Jesus. Now, if the most important question in life is, are you going to heaven when you die? And I pray that many in here today could shout, amen, yes. Then as a believer, the question is, are you growing as a Christian? And he transitions in verses 7 through 9 to the picture of a farmer. Isn't that fitting for us in Preble County today? Therefore, be patient, brethren, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the earthly and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He goes to this picture of a farmer and the characteristics of one. And I believe the picture here is a spiritual farmer. As a matter of fact, some commentaries say, while we often associate this with the coming of Christ, uh, they may not be sure that that's exactly what James is pointing at here because the text continues to build a case and a story. One writer said, I believe James could be encouraging us to be patient have the patience of a farmer as God intervenes in the circumstances of our lives. And I'll call those places maybe waiting rooms. Waiting rooms. We're all in a hurry waiting. Have you ever been to a doctor's office and literally thought they forgot you were in the room? I mean, it's... I, th I think there have been times when, when I've been on the other side of the door going, help me, help me. Or, or reaching out and flipping the, uh, the thing on the door that's red, green, or yellow to like a SOS. This patient needs help. Hey, folks, waiting is part of life. If we're going to yield to God, we have to get to the point where we're willing to have patience as God is doing his work so let's just jot down a few things this morning okay number two a sign of growth in a believer's life is patience we're going to see that in this text therefore that's where verse 7 begins so it's a picture to look back it's already what's already been written what's already been talked about therefore when it comes to the things of the world, be very careful. The world will not satisfy. The things of the world are temporary. Be very, very careful. Don't think that, that the, it's just the rich that always win. As a believer, if you flip to the back of the book, you win. That's the good news. But a sign of growth in your life and my life is patience. And I would love to stand here today and tell you that I pass that test most of the time. Renee would probably tell you that I fail that test many times. Well, you say, Brother Greg, what are you talking about? Things like this. 
that she hears me say, I cannot believe this screw won't go in. Are you with me? Somebody say, man, it is lonely up here. Getting aggravated over, the, over things that don't matter. Are you, are you, you understand that this morning when you think about growing as a believer, if I'm going to answer that question, am I growing? Patience has to be real because it's likened unto a farmer's patience as they sow the field, as they prepare the soil, sow the field. My understanding of you guys that are farmers is that you just don't plant your field in the spring and then just sit on your couch until the fall. There are things to do. I respect farmers because they, they, just, they have ingenuity, they, they're mechanics, they know how to fix things. I would, you, would, you would drive by my farm and see me on 127 sitting on my combine crying because it broke down. But that's not the way farmers operate. They work on things as the field has been sown. He doesn't sit and do nothing. Number three, the problem occurs when we equate patience with doing nothing. Like we're wasting our time because we're patient. And I'm telling you, in the waiting rooms of life is where God can do some of his good work in our hearts. You see, a farmer fulfills his responsibilities all throughout the year. And then he waits on God and trusts God to provide rain. And it's in that waiting room you see God develop a person's testimony. So how are we to respond? Now, a common theme in seven down, you're going to see the word patient, patience. It's always a good thing when you study the Bible and you see a word that repeats itself. The writer must really be trying to make a point. The Bible says in verse 9, as you're patient, do not grumble against one another. Here he is again. He comes back to how we are to talk to one another. Don't grumble against one another. Lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. We learned last week that there is a judge and we're not him. It's the Lord Almighty. Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. God reminds us that it's in the waiting rooms of life when we're waiting to hear from him that it's there that he often does a work and it's there that we often grow verse 11 indeed we count them blessed who endure you have heard of the perseverance there it is of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful and by above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. I believe God reminds us this morning that we should know the answer to the question before it's asked. So the question that we began with was, do you know for certain you're going to heaven? Okay, how would you answer that? If you answer that any differently than Jesus died on the cross for you, you need to be saved. You say, Brother Greg, don't tell me that. Well, don't give me an answer that you think your church membership somehow saves you. Folks, it's about Jesus. And, and, and don't, get, uh, don't get aggravated at uh, hearing the gospel over and over in this church. 
Because if we did not love you, we wouldn't share it with you. Folks, there's a world of people that you know and I know, you work with them, you live by them, you're related to them, that somehow equate, as James has written, the whole book of doing with their salvation. By coming to church, I'm saved, or by doing good things at work, I'm saved. It does not work that way. Jesus paid a debt we could never pay ourselves. I'm grateful for that. You know, I love being a papaw. I do. I love being a papaw. You know what my job is? My number one job is to open my billfold. I bet you my grandkids, or Drew, Drew and Stacy, they probably pray that you don't fire me worse than I do. No, you, you, you grandparents, are you with me? Don't you just love to do for your grandkids? I mean, I really do love to do for them more than I did my own. It didn't mean I don't love them anymore, but there's just something about knowing you're helping out your own kids by helping their kids in their time of need, and, and there's just something that, that is exciting about that. You've got to know the answer before the questions ask. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. That's the only reason. Are you growing as a believer? I feel like I'm growing as a believer because there is fruit and there are signs that he's alive. Don't you love the spring here? Now I realize it could snow five more times before spring actually kicks in. But you know what? Today it's not and it's sunny and I'm praising the Lord for that. Anybody with me? You young people, the older you get, you start counting days till it doesn't snow, till it's not cold. I realize next Sunday is time change. Don't be late for church. Okay? You come dragging in here next Sunday morning thinking you're ready for Sunday school and it's worship time, you overslept. So go to bed early. Go to bed early Saturday night about 8 o'clock. Get a good night's sleep. Get up at 2, move your clocks, and, uh, and we'll have a good time. A sign of growth in the believer is patience. And he uses the farmer to teach the lesson. And I'm talking to you farmers. The next time I drive down the road and, or get behind a piece of farm equipment between here and Eaton, I'm not going to sit and grumble. I'm going to thank God for farmers. Because Jesus thought enough to use them in the word of God to help me understand. Are you with me? Number three. Okay, so the, the problem is when we think patience is wasting time, that we're not doing anything. Okay, number four. So he uses the picture of Job. When you take a good look around, you're always going to find somebody that's in more trouble than you are. You're always going to some, find somebody who has a greater need. There will always be someone who's hurting worse than you are. Um, you know, people want to move around a lot. Sometimes preachers want to move around a lot. And the old proverb, I'm not sure what book of the Bible it's in, but it says, be very careful. Often there's a septic tank under green grass. That's true of life. That's true of life. And if you're building your joy and your hope on anything other than Christ, that could very well be real sometime and made manifest in your life. So if I'm growing in my Christian faith, what are some markers that will let me know that? There are two. 
patience and perseverance. You see the recurring word from chapter 7 down. Therefore, be patient, brethren. The translation there for the word patient is long-suffering. It means endurance. Have any of you ever ran cross-country in your life? We got any cross-country runners, Jeff? Anybody else? Okay, three, four, five, six. You have to be crazy to enjoy cross-country. I did it one year. You have to be crazy. You have to enjoy running and you have to enjoy pain. But the ultimate reward is to shoot or the finish line. And it doesn't matter where you end up, it seems like at the end of a race, you're just glad you're done. You're glad you're finished. And here's the interesting thing. There are always people at the shoot to, to greet you on your arrival. In your Christian walk today, you might be tired, you might be feeling like giving up, but James reminds his readers that it's about patience, and patience is endurance, and listen, one day you're going to enter that chute, and God's going to call you home, and there will be people there who have been waiting your arrival, amen? Looking forward to seeing you come home, and I praise the Lord for that. Verse 10 says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. There it is again. The translation there for the word patience means fortitude. It remains to remain there, to bear it, to not quit, but to stay in there and fight. And then when you look at verse 11, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. The translation of the word there means cheerful constancy. A constant, cheerful spirit in the midst of enduring and persevering and hanging in there. Those are markers of growth. So here's the deal. When something happens to us, we don't crumble, we don't quit, we don't blame God, we don't quit church. We keep serving the Lord. We keep serving the Lord because He's coming, amen? He's coming. The writer of Proverbs calls us to trust Him with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. And I'm telling you, there have been many times when I've not trusted God like I should. And perhaps you have as well. Chuck Lawless, Erica's former pastor, long time ago, a professor at Southeastern Seminary, wrote a blog entitled, Eight Signs That I Am Not Trusting God. And I tell you, they really convicted me. And I want to share those with you. Here they are. Number one, I lie awake at night. Do you ever do that? I'm not talking about drinking a Coke before you go to bed and it's keeping you awake. I'm talking about heaviness and worry and the pressures of the world. Everything's on your shoulders and you just lay there awake with your heart racing. He said, I do that because I'm still learning that later in life that I don't leave everything at the feet of Jesus. Number two, I quickly get too frustrated when God seemingly delays his response. He's teaching me patience. Number three, I act first and pray second if I even pray at all. Oh, 
Folks, there's a big one right there in the life of Christians. We do something and then expect God to bless what we do without even consulting God in the process. Remember what James was warning us of? Life is a vapor. Your response should really be, if the Lord wills, we will do this. Right? Number four, worry. Sometimes my distraction from trust is trying to come up with my own solutions. Worry. Number five, fear. I get afraid. I'm telling you folks, if all you do is watch Fox News, you should be afraid. They don't have the answer to everything. Jesus does. Amen? He does. I see the negative more than the positive. Are you that person? I don't listen to God through his word. It may be because we're not even reading his word. Who are we fooling? And number eight, I just, don't, I, I just know that I'm not trusting God. Here's the one that, that spoke to my heart. Like I tell others to trust God. Those are signs that you may not be trusting God. And folks, those may be some things that help us recognize that we need to grow more in Christ. Amen? To grow more in Christ. We, uh, we're planning, Lord willing, August 22nd, as you see in your bulletin, our 70th church anniversary. Looking forward to it if the Lord tarries. We've invited former pastors to come back and be our guest, and I received one from Don Evans, who was my predecessor. He was the pastor before I came. And his response was, we would be happy, we, we would love to come. You know, we have Pearl, part of our church family, uh, rep, rep, representing Brother Armstrong's family. But what if, what if every Sunday Pearl came into this building and what if Brother Evans comes back in August, if that's the Lord's will, and he says, you know what, Greg? The folks I pastored are right where they were when I left. That would speak more about me than it does you. About us than it does you. Our job is to help, listen, Spread the word of God, amen? Broadcast. You know what broadcast is? Broadcast means you take a handful and you throw it. Those broadcast spreaders for fertilizer, it slings it, right? It slings it out. When they broadcast the news, they don't know who's watching or if anybody's watching. They're just laying it out there for anybody to hear. And our job is to proclaim the goodness of God. And listen, we want you all to be sheep. We want you all to know Christ as your Savior. But as we become believers, our job is to grow in our faith. That's the good news of the gospel. So if patience and perseverance are markers of growth, are you growing as a Christian? Every head bowed, every eye closed. First of all, let me speak to believers. How did you answer the question? And what are you going to do about it? I encourage you right where you sit this morning just to re-surrender that part of your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm ready to take a step forward. I feel like I've been stuck 
or maybe I, my spiritual wills feel like they've been stuck in the mud and I've not, not been moving, I've not been growing, I've not been going forward. Today, God, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me, and I resurrender my life to you. And I'm asking anybody in this place who's not sure of your own salvation, if you want to be, why not today? Why not today? In the quietness of your heart, right now. Dear God, you're right. I need to be saved. Would you come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and forgive me of my sin? I believe you died on the cross for me. And I'm asking you right now to save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. And let me tell you why we give an invitation. An invitation is an opportunity to respond. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart and you meant it, amen. We want to celebrate that decision together. Maybe you just want to come and pray. You're always welcome to do that. If God impresses upon you during the message while I'm preaching to come and do that, that's okay. But let's let God have his way. That's why we give an invitation. Let's lift our voices and sing. If you need to come, come on. Come just as you are. Amen. Lift your voice, sing this part out, sing it out. Amen. Come just as you are. the Spirit Come just as you are. Come receive Christ the King. Aren't you glad you can come just the way you are? I tell you, I look in my old heart sometimes, and I don't like what I see sometimes. But I thank God for grace. And I thank God for grace. God bless you this morning for being here. My prayer is that you recognize your mission field is once we leave this place. Wherever, maybe you're going out, maybe you're going home, maybe you're going to neighbors or the store. That Be Jesus. Show somebody what Jesus looks like. And, uh, and live out your faith. Amen.
Today is Bread Sunday. If you'd like to give $1, Levi is there in the, in the Welcome Center area, and that goes directly to our food pantry, okay? Also, if you'd like to give your offering, you'll see the offering box there. Thank you for your faithfulness. God continues to just do a, a miracle work of giving in the life of the church. We thank you for that, all right? Youth tonight at 6. This Wednesday, we continue at 1030 um, with our 1030 study on the tabernacle, and we begin a 633 Wednesday night service. So come and be part of that. Love to have you, and uh, you pray for that if you can't, okay? Let this be the benediction. Find somebody that you're not related to and smile at them and say, I was glad to see you today. God bless you.